get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, February the 7th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and the U.S. have held the third round of talks under an economic working group. China's Spring Festival travel rush is in full swing, but snowstorms are causing problems in central and eastern parts of the country. Diplomatic efforts for a ceasefire in Gaza are intensifying. In business, strong growth in China's logistics sector. In sports, a pair of Chinese divers take synchronized 10-meter platform gold at the World Aquatics Championships. In culture and entertainment, overseas promotions for the upcoming Spring Festival Gala. Checking the day's top stories now. And a senior Chinese official has called on China and the United States to stabilize and develop economic ties and deepen exchanges. Vice Premier Hu Lifeng made the remarks during a meeting with a delegation led by Undersecretary Jay Shambaugh of the U.S. Treasury. Shambaugh was in Beijing for the third meeting of the China-U.S. Economic Working Group. Do Hongyu has details. At the meeting, Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng stressed the importance of China and the United States strengthening cooperation via the Bilateral Economic Working Group to stabilize and advance economic ties. The Vice Premier called on the two sides to implement the important consensus reached by the two heads of state at their San Francisco meeting and continue to make good use of the available channels to deepen exchanges. He also urged efforts to enhance consensus and accumulate results to bring more benefits to enterprises and the two peoples. The China-U.S. Economic Working Group held its third meeting in the Chinese capital on Monday and Tuesday. Chinese Vice Minister of Finance Liao Min and U.S. Deputy Secretary of the Treasury Jay Shanba co-chaired the meeting. The two countries discussed macroeconomics, G20 cooperation, and industrial policies. China expressed concerns over U.S. tariff hikes on China, two-way investment restrictions and sanctions to suppress Chinese enterprises. Both sides agreed to maintain communication on these issues. Meantime, Chinese Vice Commerce Minister Wang Xiaowen and U.S. Undersecretary of Commerce Marisa Lago held talks via video. A Commerce Ministry statement says they discussed economic and trade issues and work ahead of the first vice ministerial meeting of the China-U.S. Economic Working Group. Wang stressed that China-U.S. economic and trade cooperation is a stabilizing force in bilateral ties. He added that China is willing to work with the U.S. to implement the important consensus reached by the two heads of state and give full play to the role of the China-U.S. Economic Working Group to expand cooperation, manage differences, and create favorable conditions for cooperation between the two countries' business communities. The vice commerce minister also expressed concerns over U.S. semiconductor and cloud services export controls against China. He also highlighted the unfair treatment of Chinese companies in the U.S. and its restrictive measures on Chinese photovoltaic products. That was Do Hongyu reporting. Both Chinese and U.S. officials have been using the word candid to describe the economic working group meeting between them. To better understand the significance of the candid communication in shaping bilateral ties and what the two countries should do to narrow the differences in bilateral trade, we're joined by Chu Cheng, a research fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. 
right now, I think nothing is more precious than the word candid. And, uh, and uh, I, according to my knowledge to the conference, uh, the U.S. side has really asked a lot of a very acute questions, for example, about Chinese econo economy situation, about a leverage ratio, about our uh, local debt issues. And also China also provided a similar concern. The biggest concern is about uh, are there going to be another tech war? Are there going to be trade frictions? Uh, what's the policy is going to turn to be uh, when the grand election is coming, uh, you know, very soon? So I think both sides do not evade this kind of a concern and to come, uh, you know, ask each other with this, uh, you know, questions and get the answer they want. I think this is a very good beginning to start with. And also, I think through this seminar and both sides has reached many consensus, for example, as far as I know. We agree with many things on the economic cooperation, on the bilateral trade, and also most sides agree to climate change and financial cooperation is going to be very, very important for each other. So I think we at least laid a very solid cornerstone for our further you know, cooperation, uh, regardless of the future change in the political climate, especially when the American election is coming very soon. Uh, they know if do not cooperate with China, or what they call decoupling with China is going to be a lot of trouble. For example, if you remember in 2018, when Trump administration first declared they're going to have a trade, you know, uh, conflict with China, and American stock market has recorded probably the worst performance in the past five years. And uh, also, I think uh, when the China has been in the during the pandemic, and when Chinese capacity is offline with the global supply chain, America also recorded probably the worst inflation, you know, in the past 20 years. So I think when Chinese uh, corporations are back online, when Chinese productivity is back online, we see uh, not only America, but also the whole globe, the economic situation has much been uh, improved. So I think this is a big consensus between the two sides. And also for America's side, they see working with China is really off their own interest. For example, tax evasion. Uh, the profit shifting in a transfer. Well, this is really concerning American fiscal, uh, fiscal conditions and with Chinese support with both sides uh, cooperation. And I think they really have seen the uh, silver lining in there as well as in uh, uh, fighting against the uh, uh, trafficking of the uh, uh, trafficking of illegal products as well as in uh, many other things. And I think uh, America right now understand this is a lot of things can be done, as well as for the climate change. Even though the concern about Chinese EVs export is probably going to take away certain American automakers' presence in the whole world. But they also understand if we do not uh, agree on this issue on the climate change and work with China, probably what we have already gained in the past uh, 10 years or 20 years, we have seen major setbacks. So I think America also want to make sure, even though the grand election have some turbulence, but this already gained, you know, uh, achievement that will not see a back off. So I think this is what both sides really want to grab together and achieve. That was Chu Chung at Beijing Foreign Studies University sharing his thoughts on the third meeting of the China-U.S. Economic Working Group in Beijing. Chinese Vice President Han Zheng has met with Swiss Foreign Minister Ignacio Cassis in Beijing and said under the strategic guidance of the leaders of the two countries, China and Switzerland have established a strategic partnership marked by innovation. It's become a model of friendly cooperation between countries with different social systems, stages of development and sizes, noting that next year will mark the 75th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations and said China is ready to work with Switzerland to build a community with a shared future 
future for mankind. Lacasa said Switzerland attaches great importance to the development of relations with China. He said that it's willing to carry out exchanges at all levels, deepen cooperation, and push bilateral relations to a new level. Meantime, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and Cassis have jointly held the third round of the bilateral foreign minister's strategic dialogue in Beijing. Coming up, snowstorms in central and eastern China are complicating the Spring Festival travel rush. Hey everyone, Jason Smith here, host of The Bridge. Hey guys, this is He Yang with Roundtable. This is Xu Yawen with World Today. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you a tide of strength, success, and good fortune. May you be great and unstoppable as a dragon soaring through the oceans. And I want to wish you, your families and loved ones, good luck, happiness, and prosperity in the new year. I would like to wish you and may you achieve great success in your endeavors. Happy Chinese New Year! Around nine minutes past the hour. Well, China's annual Spring Festival travel rush is now in full swing. Widespread snowstorms, though, have blanketed central and eastern parts of the country as transportation authorities and workers strive to ensure every passenger gets home safe and sound. Wang Zihang spoke with some passengers about their experiences on the way home. A week prior to Spring Festival, Wang Dashan was enjoying her tour in Wuhan. However, the trip had an unexpected ending. Heavy snowfall hit most parts of the country, making it hard for Wang and many others to go home for Spring Festival. Wuhan is one of the hardest-hit areas, with transport services severely disrupted. Wang had to keep a close eye on flight updates, anxious for any changes. If I were to summarize this journey in one word, it would be challenging. We underestimated the impact of the freezing rain. In the morning, the pre-arranged rideshare driver didn't show up, and we could not hail a cab due to the dreadful road conditions. Wang struggled to navigate her luggage on the muddy road, and then boarded a subway to reach the airport. After that, she waited for more than 10 hours. When we arrived, the runway was completely covered in snow, and the cancellation announcements kept echoing in our ears. It felt like a scene from a movie. We're extremely grateful to the airline for not cancelling our flight, and the airport provided us with hot noodles and beverages. She's also grateful for the work the flight crew put in. On the plane, we have to wait for about five hours. The chief stewardess made four broadcasts, each time with sincere words, informing us of the current situation, which was quite reassuring. There was also a flight attendant who went from end to end, chatting, comforting and answering questions one by one, very professional and friendly. Meanwhile, in Guizhou, Liu Yuchen, who planned to return to Beijing, has been stranded for days. But he said the airline tried its best to help passengers like him. My flight's home got cancelled three times, and each time they let me know a day in advance. So he gave me the chance to rearrange my schedule, and since the flights were all cancelled smoothly, I just got my tickets refunded. 
He noted that the airlines contacted him each time to explain the reasons for the cancellations and offer alternative options. Besides flights, trains have also been delayed due to the snowstorm. Liu Jingyi got stuck in Shanghai. Many passengers were feeling uncertain because of the constant delays, which caused a lot of anxiety. Despite the long queues at the refund and rescheduling counters in the train station, everything was very orderly. It was really touching to see the staff helping passengers carry their luggage overhead. That sight really left an impression on me. Despite unexpected delays, I felt well taken care of by the measures the train station implemented. It made me feel safe. Railway operators have brought old locomotives back to service to ensure sufficient transport capacity. Governments in many places have provided online weather forecasts and timely information about disaster situations to the public. In Hubei Province, power supply has gradually been restored, and all major expressways are fully operational. And in the provincial capital Wuhan, the airport has resumed normal operation, while the Wuhan railway station saw off about 100,000 passengers on Tuesday. All these efforts aim to ensure people have a safe trip home ahead of the Spring Festival in the freezing weather. For the Beijing Hour, this is Wang Zhang. Chinese governments allocated over 140 million yuan, or roughly 20 million dollars, to mitigate travel disruptions caused by freezing rain and snowstorms in 11 provinces and cities.、Uh, these include the provinces of Hubei, Henan, and Shandong, as well as the city of Chongqing. Around 80,000 relief items, including quilts and coats, have been dispatched.、Uh, the harsh weather has hampered transport during the Spring Festival travel rush, and authorities have implemented safety measures on roads, including de-ice. On sharp turns, on slopes, and in tunnels, snow and freezing rain continue in southern China, but are showing signs of weakening. China's unveiled its number one central document for 2024, outlining the main priorities to promote rural revitalization, as the first policy statement released by China's central authorities each year. It's seen as an indicator of policy priorities. Thanks to continued government support over the years, young entrepreneurs have flocked to the countryside, leading to the emergence of a number of new occupations in rural China.、Uh, these entrepreneurs have brought innovative ideas and are revitalizing the traditional agricultural sector with modern practices and business models. Zhang Tao has more. The growing popularity of off-roading trips has contributed to the tourism economy in Zhejiang Province. The outcome can be attributed to Zhou Gongbin's persistent efforts over the years to start a business in his hometown, a small village in Suizhang County. Villages lack traffic and people. Our job is to bring traffic and people into villages. We create off-roading routes that showcase the beauty of rural areas, such as waterfalls and streams. These routes are recommended to young city dwellers, and they spend money in the villages. In 2017, Joe set up an online platform to provide customized off-roading routes. His efforts proved to be successful in bringing prosperity to his village. 
Thanks to the influx of people enjoying off-roading trips, one of my friends made 5 million yuan by running a hotel in the village. The presence of these groups has also boosted the sales of agricultural products. There are around 5 million people in China who enjoy off-roading, and a large event can attract more than 300,000 participants. Thanks to Joe's efforts, the off-roaders have become the main customers for local agricultural specialties. As a result, Suichang has emerged as one of the most popular off-roading destinations in eastern China. Even during the COVID pandemic, in the first 10 months of 2021, off-road trips contributed over 30 million yuan, around 4.2 million US dollars in sales volume for accommodation, catering, and agricultural products in the area. Our business has been booming following the end of the pandemic. The volume increased by three times. The pent-up demand for outdoor activities has jumped significantly following COVID. So far, Joe's online platform has more than 1.3 million registered members and has developed thousands of camping sites in villages across the country. Like Joe, Jinjin has also been working on the front lines in rural areas to promote regional development. She is a professional manager in a village in Yiwu. Her focus is building up intellectual property by exploring rural culture. Our main goal is to develop rural areas through the combined efforts by villagers. One of our key approaches is building up our own rural IP. Then we collect and sell our agricultural products in rural fairs and provide rural experiences for visitors. The young entrepreneur has set up a cultural street called Mother's Flavor, featuring dozens of local food vendors. According to Jean, the average income of these vendors reached 180,000 yuan last year, which is a decent income for rural residents. Jin says exploring the unique characteristics of each village is fundamental to promoting rural IPs. I think the main job of rural cultural innovation is not simply staying on the surface to beautify the village. It should go much deeper by delving into the local culture, forging a genuine integration between the old and new villagers. Jing has also established a crater space which provides necessary infrastructure and training courses for young entrepreneurs. As a result of these efforts, over 50 startups spanning various industries have been able to flourish and establish their roots in rural areas. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. And coming up, efforts to achieve a ceasefire in Gaza are intensifying. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. 19 minutes past the hour. It's been four months since fighting between Israel and Hamas broke out, and the diplomatic push is intensifying on a cease, uh, ceasefire plan for Gaza. Hamas says it's responded to a proposed ceasefire deal drawn up in Paris in a positive spirit. The Israeli Prime Minister's office says details of the Hamas response are being thoroughly evaluated. Meantime, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's arrived in Israel after meeting with Egyptian and Qatari officials in Doha. He's expected 
attempted to discuss the response from Hamas with Israeli officials. Alina Bekatoros has more from Jerusalem. The Israeli military has said that it will be pursuing its offensive into Rafah. Now, this is very contentious because Rafah is where more than half of the population of the Gaza Strip is now concentrated. They've been displaced from the north. They've been displaced from the center by the fighting. They are now concentrated in uh, Rafah. The Israeli military says it has no choice but to pursue Hamas militants who are holed up there. The other issue with, with Rafah is that it is right on the border with Egypt. Egypt is very concerned. It has said that uh, an incursion onto its border could jeopardize the peace accord that it reached with Israel in 1979. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is on his fifth trip to the region. He has been trying to negotiate along with Egypt and Qatar on a ceasefire deal between Hamas and Israel that would also see the release of hostages. Now, there has been a response from Hamas. We have heard from Qatar that says that Hamas is initially positive to a ceasefire proposal that is on the table. Now, Antony Blinken will be conveying this message from the Hamas response to the Israeli officials. So now they, we have to see what the Israeli officials will be responding. That was Elena Bekatoros in Jerusalem. The four-month-long Israel-Palestine conflict has triggered one of the world's worst humanitarian crises. The Gaza Health Ministry says more than 27,500 Palestinians have been killed and over 66,000 injured. 70% of the casualties in Gaza are women and children. UN agencies on the ground say Israel's evacuation orders in Gaza now cover two-thirds of the territory. While a quarter of Gaza residents are starving, 85% of the over 2 million local people People have been internally displaced. With many schools destroyed, authorities say around 620,000 students have been deprived of education. Noor Harazin reports from Gaza on how volunteers have stepped in to fill the gaps. Since October 7th, Israeli bombing has damaged or destroyed hundreds of schools in the Gaza Strip. Those that are still standing have been turned into shelters for the displaced. Furniture, such as desks and chairs, has become firewood that the refugees use for heating and cooking. Even if a long-term ceasefire is implemented, there will be no simple return to normal life in Gaza. It might take several months before any child could start school again. The displaced people who now fell the former schools will need some place to go and will be dependent on reconstruction before they can resettle. So for now, volunteers are doing what they can to fill the education gap. In a camp located dozens of meters away from the Egyptian border, Asma Mustafa began her educational initiative, teaching the camp's children. They gather around her every morning to learn Arabic, mathematics, and English. As a teacher, I look at the students as a treasure because children are our hope for the future. If they lose their right to education, the future of Palestine will be threatened. Therefore, as a teacher, I fulfill my duty towards these students so that they do not stop learning, even in these difficult circumstances and in the camps to which we were displaced. 14-year-old Lama Kishko was displaced from northern Gaza to Rafah. She lives in a tent with her family of six. 
She attends the class every day and says that she misses her school. I hope that our normal life will return. I miss my school very much. They deprived us of our schools for four months. I miss my teachers, my friends and our daily times at school. So I loved joining the education group here in the camp so that I can continue my education with my new displaced friends. According to the Palestinian Education Ministry in Gaza, some 4,800 students have been killed here and more than 8,400 others injured since October 7th, while 240 faculty and teachers have been killed. That was Noor Harazin in Gaza. The Pentagon's urging Congress to pass a budget and a supplemental bill for Ukraine after the Senate failed to approve a bill pairing border policy changes with an aid package to the country. Senate Republican leader uh, Mitch McConnell says the bill involving $60 billion of aid to Ukraine is now dead. Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh stresses the need for swift action. I wouldn't say that there's um, a renewed urgency. That urgency has been consistent. We've been saying it from the beginning. We've been sounding the alarm bells. Um, All we can ask and continue to implore is that Congress pass a budget, pass a supplemental, so we can continue to provide aid to Ukraine. Uh, President Joe Biden blamed the situation on former President Donald Trump and told Congress to, quote, show some spine. Uh, The Senate bill was facing almost certain defeat as Republicans signaled their opposition, leaving Biden with no clear way to advance aid for Ukraine. U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has survived an impeachment vote over border security in the House of Representatives. The lower chamber voted 214 to 216, with four Republicans choosing to defect to join the Democrats in voting against the impeachment of the Biden administration's top border official. The articles of impeachment against Mayorkas accuse him of refusal to comply with the law and a breach of public trust. After the failed vote, the Republicans said they'd try again. Around 2 million migrants were arrested by the U.S. Border Patrol at the U.S.-Mexico border in fiscal 2023. And polls show that immigration's become a top concern for the November presidential election. Partisan fighting over immigration has also escalated. United Nations nuclear watchdog says security at Ukraine's Zaporizhia plant remains fragile amid recent staff cuts by Russian authorities occupying the facility. International Atomic Energy Agency chief Rafael Grossi says that his latest visit to the plant aims to assess the impact of the staff cuts from around 12,000 to as low as 2,000. To man, to operate these very sophisticated and big installations, you need a certain number of people performing different specific functions. This reduction has not been, has not had a dramatic impact since the facility is not producing uh, energy. But still, there is a need to have a minimum number of people ensuring a number of, uh, of functions. So far, the situation is stable, but it is a very, very delicate equilibrium. The IAEA's repeatedly uh, expressed alarm about the facility amid fears of a potential nuclear catastrophe, as it has repeatedly been caught in the crossfire. The plant's six reactors have been shut down for months, but it still needs power and qualified staff to operate crucial cooling systems and other safety features. Grossi said that he'll check the facility's cooling functions.
Last time I was here, last uh, summer, immediately after the destruction of the Novakarkovka Dam, there was a big issue around the cooling function of the plant because of the lack of uh, water. Now we want to see how this has evolved. The plant suffered yet another blackout last month, highlighting continuing nuclear safety concerns as battles rage nearby. We're at 28 past the hour in Beijing's down to minus 6 on Wednesday evening. Tomorrow, sunny skies and 6 degrees. Nanchang's at 0 tonight, then cloudy and 8. Uh, elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's down to 5, then sunny and 19 on Thursday. Vientiane's 17 overnight, sunshine and 35 tomorrow. Phnom Penh is at 24 this evening, followed by sunny skies and 34. In Africa, Nairobi will see cloudy skies with a high of 27 on Thursday. Kampala's at 19 overnight, then cloudy and 28. Juba's 22 this evening. Tomorrow has sunny sunny skies and 38 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and the U.S. have held the third round of talks under an economic working group. China's spring festival travel rush is in full swing, but snowstorms are causing problems in central and eastern parts of the country. And diplomatic efforts for a ceasefire in Gaza are intensifying. And Shane Begumathy, stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday. Still to come. In business, strong growth in China's logistics sector. In sports, a pair of Chinese divers take synchronized 10-meter platform gold at the World Aquatics Championships. In culture and entertainment, uh, overseas promotions for the upcoming Spring Festival Gala. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with the day's headline news, here's Tian Lu. Thank you, Shane. China's Qingling Station in Antarctica has started operation. It is China's fifth research station on the continent. This year marks the 40th anniversary of China's polar expedition. Chinese President Xi Jinping has sent a congratulatory letter for the occasion. He said the station will support scientists in China and around the world to continue to explore the mysteries of nature. 
Chinese President Xi Jinping has extended congratulations to Nangolo Mbamba on assuming office as president of Namibia. President Xi said China and Namibia share a deep traditional friendship with cooperation in various fields. He said he is ready to work with President Mbamba to promote new development of the comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership. The chief of the United Nations has sent his greetings for the Chinese New Year. Secretary-General Antonio Guterres thanked China and its people for the support of the United Nations and the contributions to global progress. Happy Lunar New Year. I'm pleased to send my warmest greetings as we usher in the Year of the Dragon. The dragon symbolizes energy, wisdom, protection and good luck. We need these qualities to rise to today's global challenges. The upcoming Chinese New Year has become will be the first spring festival since the international body designated it as a UN holiday in late 2023. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has announced plans to scrap a proposal halving pesticide use across the EU. The move is seen as a concession to farmers who have been protesting in many EU countries against regulations, including the planned reduction in pesticide use. The EU had aimed to halve the use of the chemicals by 2030 as part of its Green Deal on tackling climate change. The reversal still needs to be formally approved. In Bulgaria, protesting farmers have blocked motorways and border crossings. They rejected a government support offer, demanding better compensation for their losses due to the Ukraine crisis, rising production costs and the requirements under the EU's Green Deal. Christian Stoyanov is one of the farmers. We don't want money. We want clear rules, rules that are not against us. Angry farmers have been protesting across several EU countries, including France, Spain, the Netherlands and Germany. They've threatened to escalate their protests until their demands are met. The head of the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration says the agency will post inspectors at Boeing as it heightens scrutiny of the plane maker. It comes following a 737 MAX 9 mid-air emergency. FAA Administrator Mike Whitaker said he will discuss safety issues with airline CEOs. We've begun an audit of Boeing's production and quality control practices, and we've informed Boeing that the FAA will not grant any production expansion of the MAX until we're satisfied the quality control issues uncovered during this process are resolved. Going forward, we will have more boots on the ground closely scrutinizing and monitoring production and manufacturing activities. The FAA grounded 171 MAX 9 jets on January the 6th. The move led to thousands of flight cancellations by Alaska Airlines and United Airlines. The grounding was lifted on January the 24th, and the agency said on Monday that 94% of the jets have returned to service. Rio de Janeiro is combating a dengue fever outbreak as cases surge across Brazil. At least four states in Brazil have declared public health emergencies. Under Secretary of Health Maria Sahil Ribeiro warns that the virus may have widespread impact. At the moment, we have the prospect of the return of virus 3, which hasn't circulated since 2002-2007. It's a virus that will affect a large, susceptible population. Dengue is a viral infection transmitted to humans through the bite of infected mosquitoes and is more common in tropical climates.
Train blasts in southwestern Pakistan have killed over 20 people. It is believed to have happened near electoral offices. It was not immediately clear who was behind the attacks. Former Chilean President Sebastián Piñera has died in a helicopter crash. It comes after his private helicopter crashed on the shores of Lake Ranco in southern Chile. Fire has destroyed a historical lodge on Lake Superior in northern Minnesota. The manager of Luston Lodge has pledged to rebuild using the same design following the fire on Tuesday. The only staffer on duty spotted smoke coming from electrical outlets in the lobby and called 911. The employee made it out safely and no guests were checked in. An investigation is underway. Luston Lodge claims to be Minnesota's oldest resort, serving generations of families since 1885. All right, thank you very much. That was Tian Lu with Headline News. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, strong growth in China's logistics sector. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Feng Nian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. At 38 past the hour now. Turning to business, and here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. And we start with the equity markets. The Chinese mainland markets closed higher on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index rose by about 1.4%, taking it back above 2,800 points by the close. The Shenzhen component adding another 3%, while the small cap Chinex board was up about 2.4%. Healthcare stocks uh, led those gains Shanghai, and while roughly half of listings on the Shanghai Composite rose, most uh, of the sectors were up, with uh, financial stocks really the only notable decliners. Foreign investors uh, have also started to pile into international ETFs following China stocks uh, and that became really evident overnight. Uh, in the United States, we saw at least two of these ETFs jump between 5 and 5.5%, indicating perhaps some renewed international interest in Chinese equity. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped 0.3%. In Japan, the Nikkei lost 0.1%. China's railway system is expected to transport over 13 million passengers home on Wednesday amid the country's busiest travel season known as Trenyun in Chinese. The 40-day travel rush will see hundreds of millions of people on trips for family reunions and gatherings during the Spring Festival, which begins on Saturday. Train ticket sales show the number of passengers departing from Beijing, Xi'an, Shanghai and Chengdu surged on Wednesday. The number of travelers aged 60 and above has jumped by almost 30 percent. Seniors heading for large cities to reunite with their children has been a growing trend in recent years. 
Since 2010, China has been Switzerland's biggest trading partner in Asia and third largest worldwide, after the European Union and the U.S. The two sides signed a bilateral free trade agreement in 2013, which took effect the next year. It contains provisions on trade in goods and services, non-tariff barriers on trade, intellectual property protection, and sustainable trade and development. Currently, Switzerland is China's sixth biggest trading partner in Europe. In 2023, bilateral trade volume reached 59.4 billion U.S. dollars, up by about 4.4 percent. For more on China-Switzerland trade ties, Pan Dong spoke with Chu Chiang, a research fellow with Beijing Foreign Studies University. Mr. Chu, China and Switzerland completed a joint feasibility study on upgrading the bilateral free trade agreement. Last month. Now, as we just reported, a very strong momentum of trade between the two sides in the past decade. Are you optimistic that an upgrade of such trade ties are coming up soon? Well, I think this is actually a very good sign for the bilateral cooperation and the trade and economy, and I'm very confident for its future. Well, we know it's been a little bit confident because you have to understand the circumstances, Switzerland and Europe. It's In Europe, a very vital part of the European, you know, continent, but it's not in the European Union as well as not in the eurozone. So, which gives you know Switzerland a very unique role in the European economy, but also, you know, it's become a shackle to complicate the whole things.、So、I think that's a reason why Switzerland is taking a look into the east to cooperate with China, because I think for the Switzerland part, you know, cooperation. With China, especially with its upgraded FTA, you know, treaty, Switzerland is going to have a lot of gain in their pocket. For example, everybody knows Switzerland is a very important luxury and tourism country. But tourism, and besides that, I think Switzerland is also a very famous, you know, manufacturing, especially high-tech manufacturing, you know, country. They have a very extraordinary research capabilities. Many of the talents. But in order to optimize their manufacturing capabilities, they need to work with the country like China, and、uh, you know, with Chinese companies setting up more of the research and the development center, and also assembly you know factories in the year、uh, in the Switzerland. I think Switzerland will further optimize their job structure as well as diversify their whole economic you know structure. That was Chu Chiang, a research fellow with Beijing Foreign Studies University, offering his analysis on China-Switzerland trade ties. Official data shows that China's total logistics value grew by 5.2 percent in 2023 to surpass 352 trillion yuan, or about 49 trillion U.S. dollars. According to the China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing, the annual growth rate of 5.2 percent represented a 1.8 point increase over 2022. Cai Jin is the deputy head of the China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing. 2023, in 2023, the development of the entire logistics industry was basically in progress amid stability. The total logistics value of over 350 trillion yuan, which is relatively large, provides a strong guarantee for stable and positive development of our national economy. The market structure of logistics demand underwent further improvement. The recovery of market demand in all fields of logistics was better than the previous year. The amount of logistics for industrial goods hit nearly 313 trillion yuan, up 4.6 percent. 
Import logistics reached 18 trillion yuan, or with an increase of 13 percent. In the World Bank Logistics Performance Index 2023, China's performance rose to 20th place from 26th in 2018, maintaining a steady upward trend. In particular, rankings of the country's logistics infrastructure and the international freight timeliness have reached an advanced level internationally. Japanese automaker Honda has announced a recall of 750,000 vehicles in the United States over a defect involving airbags, which could deploy unintentionally during a crash. The recall includes certain Honda Pilot Accord and Civic vehicles from the 2020-22 model years, and some Honda CRV and Passport vehicles from 2020 and 21. In December, Honda recalled 4.5 million vehicles worldwide over the risk of fuel pump failure, over a half in the United States. China's pet economy is benefiting from an upturn in demand in the lead up to the Chinese New Year. Valued at over 270 billion yuan or around 37.5 billion U.S. dollars, the industry, including pet care suppliers, shelters and pet sitters, is experiencing a surge as the nation's city workers return to their hometowns. Lei Shuran spoke with several pet owners and workers in the pet care industry about the services. More and more people in China are looking to pets for companionship, and so there's a booming market in services to ensure their furry friends have every possible comfort. Preparing fresh water and food, doing the cleaning, interacting with them, these are what pet sitters like Gu Jun do every day. During this holiday season, he'll make more than 10 home visits a day. Many clients also send detailed instructions on just how their pets should be pampered. I have been doing the job since 2015. At that time, I only received four to five orders a day. But later we see growing devotion of pet owners to their furry friends. They are more concerned about their pet's comfort. So I have more clients, nearly 100 now. The growing demand for pet sitters during the holidays is mainly from pet owners, like this young couple, who plan trips or return to their hometowns to be with family. We young pet owners have more demand for the services. We don't have other family members here, so we need sitters to take care of our puppies during the holiday. The costs are based on the number of pets and how long it will take. We have ordered a five-day pet-sitting service, starting from February 10th. To deal with the growing demand, many pet care service providers are hiring more part-time sitters and even offering them special training. We verified pet sitters to pet owners. So we kind of had to, you know, teach the people that were coming to our platform, yes, you can love pets, but what is your experience with pets? And then if they didn't have experience, we offer people to come to our adoption events or volunteer with us to gain that experience. According to researcher Roland Berger, the number of pet owners in the country has already exceeded 100 million, with over 70 percent of them born in the 1980s and 90s. And they are very willing to spend the money to keep their furry friends happy, especially on the holidays. That was Lei Shuran on China's pet economy. All right, thank you very much. That was Do Hong Yu with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, a pair of Chinese divers take synchronized 10-meter platform gold at the World Aquatics Championships. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 48 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. Chen Hongchan and Chen Yuxi gave China another diving gold medal at World Aquatics Championships in Doha, cruising to victory in the women's synchronized 10-meter platform. The result was never in doubt for the Chinese stars, who teamed up to capture their third straight world title in the event. They led comfortably after every round, receiving several perfect tens along the way. But the two girls were still picky about their performance. I don't think I played very well in the final. I made some mistakes. On a scale of 1 to 10, I think I deserve 6 today. My performance today was relatively mediocre, especially in the fourth and fifth jumps. I didn't even perform at the level of training. I hope in the future we can study the movement better and play the level we should. Team China has won 13 straight world titles in women's synchronized platform since 1998. In artistic swimming, China also romped to victory in the team technical events. Jacqueline Simonio gave Canada its first world title in artistic swimming since 1991 with a gold medal in women's solo three. Turning to football, Jordan has reached the final of the AFC Asian Cup for the first time after stunning pre-tournament favorites South Korea 2-0. Yasan Alanaimat and Musa Tamari struck the second half to upset the odds. Jordan had only advanced to the round of 16 as one of the best third-place teams in the group stage, but now goes all the way to the final. Tamari says it's a dream come true. Actually, I was uh, dream about uh, this Asian Cup before uh, start uh, like one month ago. I start uh, to train about this mentality when I was in uh, France. It's mean everything for me now. I am in the final, and uh, I have uh, big big support from the Fran- uh, French league. And I hope we can uh, do it uh, in the final, and we take uh, the final. The two teams had played a one-all draw in the group stage, but Jordan dominated the semi-final. South Korea coach Jürgen Klinsmann says he takes the blame for the exit, but has no plan to step down because of the loss. I'm not planning to do anything. I plan to analyze this tournament, talk with the federation of what was good and what was not so good in that tournament. There's a team that is growing, a team that still has to kind of develop towards uh, the World Cup in in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada over the next two and a half years. Very difficult qualifying campaign, obviously. Uh, so there's a lot of work ahead of us. Jordan will play Iran or defending champion Qatar in the final this weekend. Bayer Leverkusen has reached 30 games unbeaten in all competitions this season with a 3-2 comeback win over Stuttgart to reach the German Cup semi-finals. Leverkusen had twice recovered from a goal down and Jonathan Tarr's 90th minute header won the game. The win keeps alive the chance at a league and the cup double for Leverkusen. Their last trophy was the German Cup in 1993. Xavi Alonso's side has a crucial league game on Saturday against the title rival Bayern Munich. 
In tennis, China's Zhang Zhijian edged Guilio Zapiri in three sets in the first round of the Open 13 province in Marseille. Zhang rallied from a set down and will next play the winner between Felix Oshie Aliassime and wildcard Quentin Hollis. Thomas Mahach saw off former world number one Andy Murray. Murray is still looking for his first win of the season. French qualifier Hugo Gaston sets up last 16 match against the compatriot Hugo Humbert after beating Canadian wildcard Denis Shapovalov in three sets. German tennis great Boris Becker has split with Holger Rune after less than five months coaching the Danish player. Becker says he didn't have enough time to work with Rune amid other responsibilities. The two started working together in October. Rune, who is ranked number seven in the world, crashed out in the second round at the Australian Open last month. In the NBA, Joel Embiid is out at least four weeks following surgery to address an injury to his left knee. It basically means Embiid's bid at the second straight NBA MVP is over, as the league requires players to be in at least 65 games to be eligible for award voting. The Philadelphia 76ers can only hope Embiid's absence won't derail their shot for deep postseason run. The NBA has replaced Embiid with Atlanta's Trey Young for the All-Star game. Toronto's Scotty Barnes has also been summoned for the showcase event as injury replacement for Julius Randle. And finally, Ricky Rubio has signed a short-term contract with Barcelona a month after he announced that his 12-year NBA career was over. The 33-year-old had stepped away from playing to address mental health issues. He agreed to a deal through the rest of the season with the Spanish team. Rubio was drafted in the first round by the Minnesota Timberwolves in 2009, but stayed in Spain and played two seasons at Barcelona before switching to the NBA. All right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, overseas promotions for the upcoming Spring Festival Gala. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Uh, 53 past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment. Well, China media groups held cultural events overseas to promote the upcoming Spring Festival Gala. The event uh, in the uh, Palace of Nations, home to the UN office in Geneva, gathered over 300 representatives and diplomats from countries all over the world. Participants made dumplings, cut paper window decorations, and practiced Chinese calligraphy. In New York, artists from various countries presented live music, singing, dancing, and a fashion show as a preview of the Spring Festival Gala. A CMG also hosted cultural exchange activities in Kenya. Italian TV channel Alma TV will live broadcast the gala for the third consecutive year. This year's show will air on Friday and will be broadcast worldwide in 68 languages. Thailand's preparing for an influx of Chinese tourists this Lunar New Year holiday, with over 180,000 expected to make the trip. It's a trend that's expected to extend well beyond the 40-day holiday following a mutual visa exemption agreement. Ducita Sakyo has uh, more on how closer ties are helping to revitalize Thailand's tourism industry. In the center of a province in central Thailand, a dragon lies as if soaring in the clouds, perfectly displaying the powerful and imperial nature of these majestic creatures. 
Inside, a series of tunnels that takes on its shape, weaving through 21 exhibitions telling the stories of Chinese history and its influence on Thai culture over the past 5,000 years. The Museum of the Descendants of the Dragon is an exhibition that shows 5,000 years of Chinese and Thai history. So the new generations of Thais with Chinese descent can learn about their own history from the earliest times. It's a stroll through the corridors of time, tales of dynasties and battles, tales that form the roots, the foundations of a cultural richness that draws in millions of tourists to Thailand each year. A landmark agreement was recently inked, a visa-free alliance that will allow citizens of China and Thailand to freely travel to each other's countries from March 1st. It's a groundbreaking move that looks to reshape travel dynamics, and the initial results have been remarkable. Before the signing, we were having about 14,000, 15,000 Chinese visitors daily into the country. Now we're seeing upwards of 20,000 a day, right? So it has really been a good stimulant for travel before the Lunar New Year. China was a top source for Thailand's tourism industry, a major driver for the economy before COVID-19. But the return of Chinese tourists has been slow. The Lunar New Year period last year, Thailand saw less than 30,000 Chinese tourists. This year, with visa exemptions for Chinese tourists, Thailand's tourism industry is bracing for the dragon's roar to usher in new travel frontiers. We expect during the Lunar New Year at least 177,000 okay, uh, Chinese travelers coming in direct from, from the People's Republic of China into Thailand. Thai tourism hopes to manifest the Year of the Dragon, a legendary creature with the ability to roam the skies and the seas, bringing with it good fortune and prosperity and the ability to take China-Thai relations to new heights. That was Dusita Salkao in Thailand. Uh, Tawaii Animations announced a new joint project by ja Chinese, Japanese, and American animators titled Hypergalactic. Uh, Tawaii describes it as the biggest and most ambitious CGI film to date. Original Sonic the Hedgehog character designer Naoto Oshima is on board to co-create the story and characters of uh, the film. And uh, Hypergalactic is adapted from the Chinese, uh, the classic Chinese tale, Journey to the West. We're at 58 past the hour now, checking the forecast before we go for the day. Beijing down to minus 6 on Wednesday evening. Thursday it will be sunny with the high of 6 degrees. Nanchung's down to 0, then cloudy and 8. Elsewhere in Asia, uh, Islamabad's at 5 this evening. Thursday sunny and 19. Vientiane's down to 17, then sunny and 35. Phnom Penh's 24 overnight, sunny and 34 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see cloudy skies and a high of 27 on Thursday. Kampala's at 19 overnight, then cloudy and 28. Juba's down to 22 degrees and then sunny and 38. Now finally, to Oceania, uh, Port Vila's at uh, Earth's 25 this evening. Tomorrow we'll see rainfall and 30. Apia will have rain on Thursday with a high of 30 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and the U.S. have held the third round of talks under an economic working group. In China's Spring Festival, travel rush is in full swing, but snowstorms are causing problems in central and eastern parts of the country. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.
Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west. People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 